studied through the book of Acts, we, we've seen God's moving and God's dealing among His people and among His church. And, and we've seen, uh, primarily, we've seen the gospel spread in these first 12 chapters due to persecution. But, it, but in chapter 13, we've started to see some changes in the way uh, that God's church is, is acting in the, in the way that the Holy Spirit is moving. And the first one is that uh, the gospel is not being spread primarily by persecution, but now it's being spread through evangelism. We've also seen that in the past, uh, all of the apostles and the preachers have been sent out from, from Jerusalem. Well, last week, we've seen that start to shift a little, week, a little bit last, uh, earlier in the chapter. So now they're being sent from a place called Antioch in Syria. The focus has always been primarily upon the Jews. We're starting to see that shift as the focus turns toward the Gentile people. And the focus in the first 12 chapters of Acts has been upon a man by the name of Peter. And now we're starting to see that change as the focus shifts to a man by the name of Paul. Also earlier in in chapter 13, we saw that uh, Barnabas and Paul were accompanied on their travels by a man by the name of John Mark, the man who was responsible for writing the Gospel of Mark. But as we got into verse 13, we saw where John Mark left their company and went back to Jerusalem as Barnabas and Paul went ahead into Pergam. And we see that the emphasis has changed in verse 13 as it says, now when Paul and his company up to now, it's always said Barnabas and Saul. And now it says Paul and his company. And this is where we pick back up in, in verse 14. And we're, I'm going to read quite a bit. We're going to try to get through several several verses here. But as we pick up in verse 14, it says, But when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch in Pisidia. And they went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and they sat down. And after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent unto them, saying, Ye men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. Then Paul stood and he beckoned with his hands and he said, Men and brethren, or men of Israel, and ye that fear God, give audience. The God of this people of Israel chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt. And with a high arm brought he them out of it. And about the time of forty years suffered he their manners in the wilderness. And when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he divided their land unto them by lot. And after that he gave unto them judges about the space of four hundred and fifty years, until Samuel the prophet. And after they desired a king, and God gave unto them Saul the son of Kis, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, by the space of forty years." And when he had removed him, he raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom he also gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. Of this man's seed hath God, according to his promise, raised unto Israel a Savior, Jesus. When John first preached before his coming the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel, And as John fulfilled his course, he said, Whom think ye that I am? I am not he. But behold, there cometh one after me whose shoes of his feet I am not worthy to loose. Men and brethren, 
children of the stock of Abraham, and whosoever among you feareth God. To you is the word of this salvation sent. For they that dwelt at Jerusalem and their rulers, because they knew him not, nor yet the voices of the prophets which are read every Sabbath day, they have fulfilled them in, the condemn, in condemning him. And though they found no cause of death in him, yet desired they Pilate he should be slain. And when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a sepulcher. But God raised him from the dead. And he was seen many days of them which came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses unto the people. And we declare unto you glad tidings, how the promise which was made unto the fathers, God hath fulfilled the same unto us their children, in that he hath raised up Jesus again. As it is written in the second psalm, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And as concerning that he raised him up from the dead, now no more to return to corruption. He said on this wise, I give thee the sure mercies of David. Wherefore he said also in another psalm, Thou shalt not suffer thine holy one to see corruption. For David, after he had served his own generations by the will of God, fell on sleep and was laid unto his fathers and saw corruption. But let it be known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. And by him all that believe are justified from all things, from which ye could not be justified by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest that come upon you which was spoken of the prophets. Behold, ye despisers, and wonder and perish. For I work a work in your days, a work which ye shall in no wise believe, though a man declare it unto you. And when the Jews were gone out of the synagogue, the Gentiles besought that these words might be preached unto them the next Sabbath. And now when the congregation was broken up, many of the Jews and religious proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who speaking to them persuaded them to continue in the grace of our God. Now that's quite a lot to get through and I'm not going to try, we're not going to go into great detail on each verse, but I think it's, this is important because what you have here is you have the first sermon recorded that's been preached by Paul. Now so far that this company, Barnabas and Saul, have traveled through Cyprus, which is Barnabas' home, and now they've turned northward and they're actually going up toward Paul's home. And as they... They go, they, they come to a place that's called Antioch in Pisidia. Now it's called in Pisidia to, to distinguish it from Antioch that's in Syria. This is not the same Antioch that sent them out at the beginning of their travels. This is a, a different city and it's in a different place. Now both Antiochs were, were founded by the same person. They were both founded by a man by the name of Seleucia. And both uh, are, are Roman uh, outposts, Roman colonies, where they would have uh, a Roman legion posted there. And both have a, a Jewish quarter there, a, a, a Jewish uh, segment of the population. And they have a synagogue. So in a lot of ways, they're, they're similar cities, but they're just in, in different places. Whereas uh, Antioch in Syria is what we would call today the Middle East. Antioch and Pisidia is, is in what we would call Asia. It's up between, uh, up around uh, 
uh, Italy and up in that area. So two, two very different places, though very similar. And it says that as they came to Antioch in Pisidia, they went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. I, I want you to notice something here. I want you to notice that it's important for Paul to be in church on the Sabbath day. Brother, if it's important to the apostles to be there, don't you think it should be important to us too? The Apostle Paul went, and I want you to notice that this is, is his custom. This is not something he just chose to do this one Sabbath day. This is his custom. It's his manner. It's what he does. In chapter 14, in verse 1, it says, And it came to pass in Iconium that they went both together, Barnabas and Saul, to the synagogue of the Jews, and so spake that a great multitude, both of the Jews and also of the Greeks, believed. Chapter 17 Verse 1, it says, Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was, or as his custom, as was his habit, went in unto them in three Sabbath days, reasoned with them out of the Scriptures. Chapter 19 and verse 8, it's talking about Paul as he went to Corinth and he's, he's laid hands on many of the people there and, and given them the... Uh, brought to them in the Holy Spirit because they were baptized by John. And he says, no, you need to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. So he lays hand and it says in verse 8, and when he went into the synagogue and spake boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. Over and over and over we read about Paul going into the synagogues on the Sabbath day. It, it, it's an important place to be. We're commanded to be in God's house on the Sabbath. So we have here by example that, that Paul went to, 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 the, uh, to the synagogues on the Sabbath day and he went first to his own people. And he's going in on the Sabbath day and he, and he goes in and, and he goes to this, to this Jewish community even though you know the Jews of that day were largely Christ-rejecting. They were... Uh, they, they, were, they were filled with error. They, they were, were blinded by their, their traditions. You know, they, they uh, were overrun with ritualistic behavior in their synagogues. But yet, for all this error, they still believe in the one true God. They believe in the God that created this universe. They believe in the Lord Jehovah. They had the Bible. In fact, they had the only Bible that was known to the world at that time. And they looked for the Messiah. In, in, in Romans, in Romans chapter 9, Paul writes to the Jews, he says, I say the truth in Christ. I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have a great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren and my kinsmen according to the flesh. Paul says, well, I'm going to tell you the truth. This is, this is no lie. I, I would trade my own eternal salvation if, if we could just save all of my Jewish brethren. This was a, a great burden to him. He was burdened with his Jewish kinsmen. He says, who are Israelites to whom pertain the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises. All these things were given first to the Jew. 
You know, the Jew was blessed beyond by God beyond reason. They they were 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 went to over and over again. They have all of the promises and all of the goodness that God could give to them, yet they still do not believe that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. Paul went in first to try to convince his kinmen. Everywhere he went, his first stop was the synagogue of the Jews, and he went there on the Sabbath day to reason them. And when this opportunity is given to Paul as he sits there in the pews at the synagogue, brother, he just seizes it with both hands. This time he's sitting there in the synagogue, and, and the rulers of the synagogue. Now, you know, I don't know how they knew uh, that Paul was a was a rabbi, or that, that Paul might want to say something. You know, maybe on his maybe on his way in, maybe some of the rabbis there stopped him and said, "Oh, you're new here. We don't recognize you." And Paul would have said, "Yeah, we were traveling from Jerusalem, or we're traveling from Antioch." I don't know. Could be like some of our churches today. You know, I, I've been to churches before when I go in and I take my Bible with me and I sit down on the pew with my Bible, the pastor will come over and say, I see you've got your Bible, you must be a preacher. <laughs> you know, I, I'm thankful that to be in a church where our congregation brings their Bibles in with them so that they can read along and tell that what I'm saying and what I'm reading is true and right. But not every church does that. I don't know how they knew that Paul and Barnabas were there or how they knew that, that they might be preachers or might be sent from somewhere else, but they did because they went to them and they asked them, they said, ye, uh, ye men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say, if you've got something you'd like to say, if you would like to exhort the people, if you've got some good advice for us or some admonishment, maybe you've got some word of, of uh, the brethren back in Jerusalem, if you've got some, we, please, we, we invite you to, to stand up and speak to us. Now notice this came after the reading of those came after the service. Can, can you imagine being here and after the after the service and after the, the preacher sits down and he turns around and he says, uh, brother, if you've got something to say to us, what and we get another preacher come up and preach. That that's what's happened here. And it says Paul stood and, and he beckoned with his hands. I I can only imagine that as he stood, there were, there were people in the congregation that were probably shouting to him, yeah, do, do, tell us what's going on in Jerusalem. Tell us this or, or, or give us uh, some exhortation. But people were turning and, and he motioned to him with his hands. Quiet in the crowd. Now remember, at this time, there, there were no microphones, there were no loudspeakers, there were no amplifiers. So as the crowd begins to quiet, Paul stood and he says, Ye men and brethren, ye men of Israel, ye that fear God, give audience. I want to stop for just a second. Ask you when when people ask you to give a word of exhortation, when people ask you about your church or your God, what do you say? Well, what is it you tell them? You know, you've got a, you've got a, a great uh, uh, in with some evangelistic efforts just due to the fact that you're a member of a primitive Baptist church because so few people understand what primitive Baptists really believe. You know, but oftentimes I think when somebody says, where do you go to church? I say, well, I go to uh, Fairhaven Primitive Baptist. You go where? Fairhaven Primitive Baptist. 
tell them where you go. I go to Fairhaven Primitive Baptist Church. Don't be ashamed of the fact that it's Primitive Baptist. Because I'm going to tell you, a lot of times that will open doors for some evangelism to you. Because what do people do when you tell them you're a Primitive Baptist? What's the difference in a Primitive Baptist and other... I love the ones say, what's the difference in a Primitive Baptist and a normal Baptist? I don't know. I thought we were the normal Baptist. I don't even know. But what do people say? Well, what, what do you believe? What do Primitive Baptists believe? What's the difference in Primitive Baptist and other, and other people? And what do we tell them? Well, most common, I think we tell them, well, we don't have instrumental music in our church. We don't have Sunday schools. We don't have this. We don't have that. Brother, I'm going to tell you, that's the wrong way to approach it. They didn't ask you what you don't have. They didn't ask you what you didn't believe. They asked you what you believe. And I think in order for us to, to have a, a good and a godly response to that, let's study the people who have done this successfully in the past. And brother, I'm going to tell you, there's not many people that have been more successful at it than people like Peter and like the Apostle Paul. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at the Apostle Paul's sermon. This is what, this is what Paul says he believes. These people stood up and said, Ye men of Israel and brethren, tell us what you believe. And Paul stood up and he said, the God of this people of Israel chose our fathers and exalted the people where they, when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt, and with a high arm He brought them out of it. Now I want you to know Paul actually goes back, actually in 1 Corinthians, he gives a great little synopsis of this. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul encapsulates what he does very quickly. In 1 Corinthians 15, uh, verse 3, he says, For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. And He was buried, and that He rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. That's what Paul did. That's where he started. That's where he went. That's what he believed. So we see here that Paul, as he starts out, he starts out, he takes them all the way back to the time of captivity in Egypt. He, he takes them all the way back several hundred years to a, to a time of captivity in Egypt. And, and as he starts, he says, the God of this people of Israel chose our fathers. Now I want you to notice, Paul did not shy away from the doctrine of election. He says God chose the people. He did not shy away from that. I think so often we shy away from that. And whereas I don't believe we should make that the focus of our evangelistic efforts, we ought not shy away from what is probably the greatest doctrine that's ever been given, that's ever been written down. You see, it's the doctrine of election that allows each and every person for whom Jesus died to be with Him in heaven. Aside of that, all the other doctrines, they just don't do it. Brother, if you don't believe that God chose you before the foundations of time, if you believe that somehow there is something that you have to do, it's by God's grace you have to accept it, it's anything else. If you believe what most of these people believe, which is that Jesus Christ died for each and every human being that's ever been born, but only those that are are accepting of His offer of grace are going to be with Him in heaven, then I'm going to tell you there's a lot of people that He shed blood for that are not going to be with Him in heaven. That's what that doctrine tells me. If you believe He died for everybody, 
That either everybody is going to be in heaven or Jesus Christ wasted His blood upon Calvary. But it's the doctrine of election that says He chose a people and it was for those people that He died. And those people without the loss of one will be with Him in heaven. That is the only doctrine that allows for every person that Christ died for to be with Him in heaven. Everything else is just a waste of Christ's blood. And I don't believe that my Savior wasted one drop of His blood. He doesn't shy away from that. He he says He he chose our, our fathers and He exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt. Now He really exalted them in the land of Egypt twice, didn't He? First, when Joseph went there as a slave, as a prisoner, and Pharaoh took him from prison and made him second in command only to Pharaoh. That was the first place he exalted him. Then he exalted him again when he sent Moses to let his people go. And it says that he he let them out with a a high arm. That, That high arm is symbolic of God's omnipotence, of God's power. In Chronicles, in the prayer of Jabez, Jabez, um, Jabez prays uh, that their hand might be with me and that it would help me uh, from all evil. He prays that God's hand would be upon him. God's power would be with him. You know, when, when we pray, Brother Richard, I love to hear Brother Richard pray this. He prays it often that God, you just put your hand down upon me. And what he's asking for is he's asking for God's power. He's asking for God's omnipotence. The word omnipotent is, is, is a big word that just means he's all-powerful. You know, as we study the Scripture, we find out that he's omniscient, right? Which means he knows all. We find out that he's omnipresent, which means that he's, he is everywhere. And we find out that He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. This this high hand is just symbolic of God's power. And we find that that as He brought the people out of Egypt, how did He do it? He did it by by sending the plagues, didn't He? And every plague that He sent was a symbolic defeat of one of the gods of Egypt. God was showing His power over all the other gods. So He he says he, he He brought the people, He brought our fathers out of Egypt when they were strangers there, and he, he did it with a high arm. He did it with great power. And about the time of 40 years, suffered he their manners in the wilderness. Now that's, that's an interesting phrase. He, he suffered their manners. Now that sounds like a real southern gentleman to me. You know, he's suffering their manners. You know what he was suffering? He was suffering their disobedience. He was suffering their self-will. He was suffering their pride. He was suffering their rebellion. He was suffering their apostasy. Well, he was just suffering their manners. What he's saying is that that God brought people out of Egypt by power, and then as they wandered in the wilderness, God showed His long-suffering toward His people. And when he had destroyed the seven nations in the land of Canaan, he divided their land to them by lot. He shows them their power. He shows them their long-suffering. And after they've suffered long, he then allows them to go in and defeat the land of Canaan. Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 7 said it was seven nations greater and mightier than they. In other words, these these are seven nations we would never defeat by ourselves. 
Make no mistake, it was not the Israelites that defeated the nations there. It was God. This was God's gift to His children. He's taking it back and He's showing them. He says, God has had great mercy on you. God chose our fathers. God brought our fathers out of Egypt by, by a mighty hand. And even when they were disobedient and prideful and self-willed there in the, in the wilderness, God was with them. He, he was long-suffering with them. And, and at the end of the time there, He allowed them to cross the Jordan and go in and possess Canaan, the promised land. And, and after they possessed the promised land, it says He gave them judges about the space of 450 years until Samuel the prophet. If you remember the time of the judges, this would trigger in the minds of, of these Jews that are here in the, in the synagogue, it would trigger a time of great rebellion again. They, they went through the rebellion in the wilderness, but God was long-suffering and let them go in and conquer the land of Canaan. And after they had conquered the land of Canaan and driven out the seven nations that were there, he gave them judges, and the period of judges again is, is, is a period that, that's uh, guarded by, or, or known by the, the great rebellion and self-will and apostasy and, and, and moral deprivation of the people, religious perversions. It was again a bad time for the nation of Israel, but yet God again was long-suffering. And what did He do? He sent a prophet. He sent the prophet Samuel. And what did Samuel do? Samuel comes in. Samuel was the, the last judge and he was the first prophet. And as he comes in, what does he do? He, he teaches God's Word to the people. He prays for the people. He encourages the people. You see, what he's doing is, is Paul is showing how, how rebellious the Jewish people have been against God and against God's Word. But yet God is merciful to them over and over again. God is long-suffering with His people. He says this happened for the space of about 450 years. A lot of commentators I've read have trouble reconciling that 450 years. They, they don't understand it. They can't make it work out. I thought it was pretty simple myself. God's people were 400 years in captivity in Egypt. They were 40 years wandering in the wilderness and it took them 10 years to conquer the land of Canaan. How long is that? That's 450 years. And after 450 years, He sent Samuel the prophet. And so He sends them this, this prophet, this, this man who is teaching them His Word, this man who is encouraging them, He's praying for them. I mean, what greater leader could you want than a leader that would pray for His people? And yet, what did they do? And afterwards, they desired a king. They didn't want a prophet. They didn't want judges. They wanted a king. They wanted to be like all the other people. And God gave them Saul, the son of Kish. God gave them their very desire. God gave them exactly what they wanted. Sometimes I think we need to be very careful for what we pray for because God just might give it to us. And when we get it, we might find out that's not what we want. Rather than praying that they would be in God's will, that, they, that God would pour out His blessings upon them, they they demanded a king. And he gives them Saul. Oh, Saul was probably who the people would have chosen. 
I mean, the Bible tells us that Saul stood shoulder and head above everyone else. He was a, a good-looking man, strong, tall, athletic. This would be the guy that you'd look at and say, oh, that's the one I want leading me right there. But Saul really was a disaster for his people, wasn't he? You see, Samuel writes in, in, in 1 Samuel chapter 12, he says, uh, You said unto me, Nay, but a king shall reign over us. When the Lord your God is your king. You see, the people did not realize that God was their king. And they demanded another king. They demanded a king and actually says, We want a king like everyone else has. When they had a king that was so far superior to what everybody else had. But they didn't recognize it. What Paul is doing here is Paul is pointing out the history of the Jews. Paul is, is pointing out their history to them. How, how that they, they, they were, time and time again, they were rebellious. But yet even though they were rebellious, God in His mercy kept His promises to protect and be with His people. He kept every promise that He made to them. God was merciful and faithful to the Jewish nation time and time again. He says in verse 22, and when he had removed him, talking about Saul, of Tar uh, Saul the son of Kis, when he had removed him, he raised up unto them David to be their king. Now you see, David was God's choice. Saul was man's choice. Let's get the tall, good-looking one. There's nothing that says David was tall. It does say that he was okay in the looks department. He was ruddy and, and fair to look at. But he was just a shepherd boy. He wasn't a king. He, he, he guarded the herds. But God said, this is my choice. This is who I would select for a king. He raised up to them David, their king, to whom he to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse. Listen to this qualifier. A man after my own heart. You see, Saul was full of pride and self-will. Saul was the one who went into the, to the temple and, and made his own sacrifices. Saul was the one who, when God said, you will destroy that and you won't bring back a single thing. You'll bring back no... Uh, uh, What's the word I'm looking for? No, no treasure to come back with you. You'll bring back no cattle. You'll bring back no prisoners. Yet what did Saul do? He brought back all the best that they had. He captured the king. He brought back all the good cattle. Now he tried to tell Nathan, well, I just did it so like we could make sacrifice. But it doesn't matter because he didn't do what God told him to. He said, no, God, I know what God said, but that's not what I want to do. I'm going to do what I want to do. Saul was full of pride and self-will. But David, David was a man after God's own heart. God gave him his king. David, a man after his own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. David's going to do what I think is right, not what he thinks is right. And then Paul says, of this man's seed, of this man, it's of David's 
seed. Hath God, according to His promise, raised unto Israel a Savior, Jesus? Now, what, what's, what's Paul been doing this time? He's been showing how God was merciful, how God was faithful to keep His promises to the children of Israel. Even in their times of rebellion, He was faithful to keep His promise. He, he didn't leave them in captivity in Egypt. He, he, according to His promise, He brought them out of captivity. Captivity. According to His promise, He gave them the promised land. Even though they were in rebellion 40 years in the wilderness, He kept His promise. He was faithful. Well, if He was faithful to keep that promise, and He was faithful to give them the King, and He was faithful to, to keep all of His promises, even in the face of all this rebellion, would He not also keep His promise to David that says that through your seed I will raise up the Messiah? Do you see what He's doing? you see how he's, he's leading them and guiding them down this path? God has been faithful all these years from, from the time that our people were in, in bondage in Egypt all the way to David. God was faithful to carry out every promise that He had gave, given His people. So why would He not carry out His promise to bring us a Messiah through the line of David? Well, of course He would be, wouldn't He? That goes from Psalms 132. Verse 11 says, The Lord hath sworn in truth unto David. He's sworn in truth, and he will not turn from it. Of the fruit of thy body will I set upon thy throne. Of the fruit of David's body is he going to sit upon his throne. From, from David's loins, from David's fruit is going to be the Messiah. And then he, he fast forwards. Paul's reminded him of the promises. He's told him if he's faithful to keep that promise, he's going to be faithful to bring us the Messiah from the, from the lineage of David. And then he fast forwards to a, a time to the very recent past. Now you see the thing is is they actually had the lineage of Jesus, didn't they? It would have been very easy to verify this. Jesus was was born a Jew. The Jews were, were very meticulous in keeping birth records because they wanted to be able to identify the Messiah when he came. They knew about the promise of David. They, they knew that God had promised to raise up the Messiah through the lineage of David, so somehow they had to be able to track that person back to David. They also wanted to track him all the way back to Abraham because he promised Abraham back over in Genesis chapter 10 that it was through his seed that all the world would be blessed. So they kept these records. We have in our Bible, in Matthew chapter 1, we have the lineage of Joseph the, the husband of Mary, don't we? And you know what? It goes all the way back to David, through Solomon to David. And then in Luke chapter 3, we have the, the lineage of Mary. And it goes all the way back to David through Nathan. So it doesn't matter how you want to track the lineage of Jesus Christ, either way, mother or father, they both go back to David. So see, Paul can prove that this promise is true. God's kept all of His other promises. He's kept this promise also it, because from the, the seed of David came the man that you call Joseph, uh, Jesus of Nazareth. 
And then he fast forwards to the, to the near past, probably the last 10, maybe 20 years when John the Baptist was there. Because he says in verse 24, he says, When John had first preached before his coming the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. You know what he's doing? He's reminding them about Malachi chapter 4. He's reminding them of the prophecy that says, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he says, he sent Elijah, only we called him John. And John was here and John was baptizing and preaching uh, the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. What did Elijah preach? Elijah preached repentance, didn't he? He said, "We've sent, God sent Elijah. We call him John the Baptist. And he preached before the people. And it says, as John fulfilled his course, as John's uh, life's end was drawing near, as he had done all that he was to do, he said, whom think ye that I am? You see, there are a lot of people that thought he might have been the Messiah. There are a lot of people that thought he was the Christ. And he says, I am not he. I'm not the Christ. You see, you've got the wrong prophecy. I'm not the Christ. I'm Elijah. He says, I, I am not he, but behold, there cometh one after me whose shoes of his feet I am not worthy to loose. And we remember what happened, don't we? We're reminded of the baptism of Christ. As John sees him approaching, he says, the Lamb of God that washes away sin. And Jesus said, I, I, I need to be baptized for you. And John says, no, I, I can't baptize you. And John he said, yeah, suffer it to be so. And as John baptized Jesus Christ, you remember what happened? It says the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like that of a dove. And a voice from heaven spoke and it said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Paul is reminding this Jewish congregation of all these things. He says from the time of, of our fathers over in Egypt uh, to the very time of, of, of John the Baptist, all of these things are being fulfilled. All these prophecies are coming true. He says, Men and brethren, children of the stock of Abraham, and whosoever among you feareth God. He's talking to the Jews and to the Gentile believers that are there. He's talking to both. The stock of Abraham is the Jew. And all those that fear God, that's the, that's the Gentile believers that are there. Paul wasn't leaving anybody out. He says, to you is the word of this salvation sent. Unto you is the word of this salvation sent to all that believe to all that believe in Christ was Christ sent. Christ was the Word. John says He was the Word, doesn't He? You see, Christ was the Word. Christ is the salvation. And He says, to, to all of you who believe, His salvation been sent. Brother, I'm, I'm going to tell you that it's not your belief that brings salvation, but it's salvation that brings belief. You believe because you are saved. It's to those that are that believe that He was sent. 
and Paul steps it up a little bit as he comes a little closer. For they that dwell at Jerusalem and their rulers, because they knew him not, nor yet the voices of the prophets which are read every Sabbath day, they have fulfilled them in condemning him. Now Paul differs from Peter's preaching just a little bit here. Do you know how Peter said that? Peter said, You by wicked hands have taken and slain the Son of Glory. That's what Paul's telling them. But you know why he didn't put it that way here? Do you know, do you know why? They're not at Jerusalem. These brothers probably were not there. These Jews were not at Jerusalem. He says it's your Jewish brothers who dwelled at Jerusalem. And their rulers, the Sanhedrin. Listen to this, because they knew Him not. They did not know Christ. Do you understand that they have been looking for Christ for 2,000 years? They had these words of prophecy. They had these promises fulfilled, but yet when He was standing before them, they knew Him not. He says, because they, they knew Him not, nor yet the voices of the prophets. He said, He's saying there very clearly they did not understand these prophecies. Paul has been laying out the prophecies from the time of Egypt to the time of John the Baptist for them. He's been telling them how they've been fulfilled. God is fulfilling His promises. And now God said this man would come to you through, through David, and here's Jesus Christ who has come to you through David. And yet he says the, 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 the rulers of the Jewish people those that dwelt in Jerusalem, the ones who should have known the, the prophecies the best, the ones who were there to see the fulfillment of the prophecies with their own eyes, yet they could not see it. And because they could not see the prophecies, they actually wound up fulfilling the prophecies. That's what he says. He says, they have fulfilled them in condemning him. What prophecy did they fulfill in condemning Him? They said that the, the Savior would hang upon a tree. The, the prophets prophesied what death Christ would, would undergo. They prophesied things that He would do upon the cross, right? I, I mean, it says over there in John, it says so that the, the prophecies might be fulfilled, Jesus said, I thirst. And what does the prophecy say that they gave him? They gave him vinegar. What does John say that the soldiers gave him? They gave him vinegar. You see, Paul is just going through what he's doing. Is he is going through and according to the Scriptures, he is laying out the case that Jesus of Nazareth was the Christ. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah. And he says that, that even the Sanhedrin court in their condemnation of him, allowing him, condemning him to death, have helped fulfill those very prophecies. And yet they don't see it. And though they found no cause of death in him, yet desired they Pilate that he should be slain. When they had fulfilled all that was written of him. When they fulfilled all that was written of him. They took him down from the tree and laid him in a sepulcher. Jesus Christ could not have come down from that cross until he said, I thirst. Jesus Christ could not have come down from that cross until every prophecy had been fulfilled. 
the, the, the prophecy of, of uh, I thirst, the prophecy of giving him the vinegar, the prophecy of them dividing his clothes. All of those things had to be done before he came down from the cross. And Paul says here, he says, when, when all that was done, and, and, and remember it was the Sanhedrin court that brought all that about, had they not ever condemned Jesus to the cross, it never would have happened, would it? He says, without even realizing it, the Jewish people have played a part in the, the completion of the prophecies. Up to this point, I don't, I don't want you to think that all the prophecies are, are fulfilled. There are prophecies yet to come. Prophecies concerning His second coming. But I'm talking about the prophecies up to this point. The prophecies concerning Christ up to this point. It says, and they laid him in a sepulcher. That was another prophecy. You know, they would lay him in a, in a, in a tomb uh, where no man had laid before. And we find that a man named Joseph of Arimathea came and begged the body of Christ from Pilate and took it and laid it into his newly carved tomb. When all had been fulfilled, they took him down from the tree and they laid him in a sepulcher. But that's not the end of the story, is it? Verse 30 says, But God raised him from the dead. That again was according to the Scriptures. God raised him from the dead, and he was seen many days of them which came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. Who's he talking about there? He's talking about the apostles, right? He's talking about his little band that went with him. He says that he was seen many days. And we know that he was actually seen 40 days, wasn't he? He, he, he walked the earth for 40 days after, uh, after he was resurrected. Who are his witnesses unto the people? Those that were there and witnessed him, they are the ones who, who are, are to witness of him. And you know, because this is such recent, recent history, there's a possibility there would have been people in that congregation who might have actually witnessed the risen Christ. Paul tells us, over in 1 Corinthians 15, again, he says he was seen of over 500 people at one time. So it's very possible that there are people in this congregation who have seen the risen Christ. He said he was seen many days of those that come up, uh, which came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are witnesses unto the people. And we, he and Barnabas, declare unto you glad tidings how the promise which was made unto the fathers, God hath fulfilled the same unto us, their children. The promises were made to the fathers. The promises were made to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. The promises were made to David. The promises were made to all of those fathers that lived in the past. And they waited for 2,000 years for the fulfillment of those prophecies of those promises. But he said, just as God was faithful in the wilderness, just as God was faithful with our fathers who were in Egypt to, to fulfill the promises that He had made unto them, He is faithful to have fulfilled this promise. And even though it was made to the fathers, we saw the fulfillment of it. What was the fulfillment? The fulfillment was that the Messiah would come. That Jesus Christ would come through the lineage of David and that He would be here and that He would be crucified upon the tree. He would be buried and He would raise again the third day. That was the promises that was made. And it says that they were God hath fulfilled that same promise in us. In that He raised up Jesus again. 
It was the promise of the Messiah. The promise that the Savior would come and that He would die and He would be buried, but on the third day He would rise again. He says, we've seen that promise fulfilled. As it is also written in the second Psalm, Thou art my Son, this day have I begotten Thee. This day have I begotten Thee. And as concerning that He raised Him up from the dead, now no more to return to corruption. He said, On this wise I will give thee the sure mercies of David. He said, Christ has been resurrected. No more to see corruption. You see, the resurrection is, is actually God's seal of approval that was put upon the sacrifice that was made upon the cross of Calvary. It is by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead that we know that God has accepted payment for our sins. And he says in verse 35, he says, Wherefore he said in another psalm, Thou shalt not suffer thine holy one to see corruption. That's Psalm 16.10. And then he goes on, he says, For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep and was laid unto his fathers and saw corruption. You see, there, there were people that believed, the Jews believed that uh, the, the verse there in Psalm 2 that says, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. They thought that referred to David. There were those that thought Psalm 16.10 referred to David when he says uh, that, that uh, my soul will not see corruption. You will not suffer thine holy one to see corruption. They thought that referred to David. But Paul is making the argument here that, that David lived in his day. And David died at the end of his life. And David was put into his tomb. And we know where that tomb is. And if you want, we can go to that tomb. And we can open it up and we can look and see if David has seen corruption or not. But he don't have to do that. Paul just tells them clearly that he saw corruption. David's body deteriorated. If we were to go and open up the tomb of David, all we would find would be a pile of bones. He says that, that he saw corruption, but, but he whom God had raised up, who is that? That's Jesus Christ. Saul no corruption. He says those prophecies doesn't apply to David. Those prophecies apply to Jesus Christ. And we have the fulfillment of those before us today. Jesus was risen from the, from the grave. He was seen by all these people. He walked the earth for 40 days. David, after he served his own generation by the will of God, fell on sleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised saw no corruption. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man, not David, through this man, Jesus Christ, is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. It is through Jesus Christ that we have the forgiveness of sins. It's through Jesus Christ that we have salvation. Uh, John 14, 6, that He is the way, the truth, and the life. Right? Ephesians 1 and 7. Starting 5, it says, Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved, in whom we have redemption through His blood. It's the blood of Jesus Christ. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. Brother, our, our, our 
our forgiveness today comes from Jesus Christ. It's through the blood of Christ that we have forgiveness. Uh, Colossians 1, Colossians 1, 13 and 14 says, Whom hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son, in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Brother, the forgiveness of sins came not from David, it came from Jesus Christ. It came by the blood of Christ. Paul says that this is where our, our forgiveness comes from. It comes from Jesus Christ, who was the, the, the seed of David given by promise through the fathers, and that promise is fulfilled here. And in verse 39, and it says, And by Him all that believe are justified from all things from which He could not be justified by the law of Moses. Do you, do you understand this morning that the law could not justify you from anything? The law does not uh, uh, absolve you from your sins. The, the law does not uh, uh, make you righteous. The law does not make you Worthy, The law does not cover your sins. The law cannot cancel out your sins. What the law does is the law shines a light on your sin. The law points your sin out to you so that you can see it clearly. But it was the blood of Jesus Christ that justified us from our sins. It was the blood of Jesus Christ that absolved us the blood of Jesus Christ that, that makes us righteous is the blood of Jesus Christ that makes us worthy of salvation. Those are all definitions for uh, all definitions uh, for justification straight out of Webster's dictionary. That's what it means to be justified. It means to be absolved, to be righteous to be worthy of salvation. Brother, that comes not from us or from anything that we've done. It's not come from any keeping of the law. It comes from the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And that was Paul's message to the Jews. Paul is telling the Jews that even though, uh, uh, even though it was the Jew that hung Christ upon the tree, he says there, there is still hope for the Jew. There is still forgiveness. There is still justification. And brother, it's the same for you and I today. There is still hope. There is still forgiveness. There is still justification. But it comes not from us. It comes not from a, from a preacher. It comes not from David. It comes from the blood of Jesus Christ. It is only by the blood of Christ that you and I can stand before the throne of God. Paul says the promises are sure. Christ came according to the Scriptures. He came according to the promise. Then He declares to them a woe. He says to them in verse 40, He says, Beware, therefore. Beware. Lest that comes upon you which is spoken of in the prophets. Beware unless this prophecy is fulfilled in you. That behold ye despisers and wonder and perish for I work a work in your days, a work which you shall in no wise believe, though a man declare it unto you. He says, be careful that this prophecy doesn't pertain to you, that, that you despisers, you, you that, that deny the truth. He says, because there's a man that's going to come and he's going to work wonders and signs. He, he's, going to, he's going to be a testimony that he is the Christ and he's going to come in your time. But even though you see Him, even though people declare Him to you, you won't believe Him. 
He says, brother, I don't want you to be part of that unbelieving group. Don't be part of that group that, that despises and does not, uh, does not believe what is declared unto you because it says those people will perish. And what Paul is doing, Paul says, though a man declare it to you, Paul is standing there before him and he is declaring to them the words and the works of Jesus Christ. And he's warning them that you need to take heed. You need to believe lest you perish. Then he goes on in verse 42 and it says, The Jews which were gone out of the synagogue and the Gentiles besought that these words might be preached unto them the next Sabbath day. Do you notice the Jews? It was the Jews that said when they went out, but the, but the Gentiles are the ones who stayed behind. Who was Paul the apostle to? To the Gentiles. Paul's work was with the Gentiles. And these Gentiles identified with the apostle Paul. Even though he was giving the history of the nation of the Jews... Even though he was he was giving the history of this, this Jewish nation which had been shown so many mercies by God, so much long-suffering, that he even fulfilled the promises. You know, I, I was thinking about that this morning as I was reading back through this, and I was thinking, you know, I love my children. I, I love my children with all my heart and my soul. But I think if they were as stubborn as some of these Jews were back in their times, if they were like the Jewish people back in the, the days of the wilderness disobedient, self-willed, uh, you know, uh, apostas- uh, living in apostasy, I think I'd have to change my mind about some of the promises that I'd made to my kids. You know, I, I think I'd have to really sit down and wonder whether, uh, whether I need to keep them in the will or not. But God didn't do that. God was long-suffering. God had made the promise. And that's all it took. Because God's Word is yea and amen. God's Word is is going to be fulfilled. So even though that that Paul was talking about the, the, the Jewish nation and going recounting the history of the Jews, these Gentiles heard, and I think probably the Gentiles recognized more than even the Jews did, how long-suffering and merciful God was to the Jews. And they asked that Paul would preach again to them in the next Sabbath day. And then after the congregation was broken up, many of the Jews and the religious proselytes followed Paul. It says they, they followed Paul and Barnabas. Now notice it doesn't say that they were asking them to preach to him again. But I think they were very curious about what he had to say. I think they wanted to know more about this Jesus. They wanted to know more about the the prophecies that He had fulfilled. And it says, who's speaking to them? When Paul, who's speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. Paul asked, he, he persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. And we see here how Paul in his first sermon to a Jewish congregation in a synagogue. How he recounted, as he laid it out in 1 Corinthians 15, 
how that Jesus Christ must have come and suffered and died according to the Scriptures and how that He must have been buried and risen again the third day according to the Scriptures. You see, He takes them back to the Scriptures and to the prophecies. Now I think a lot of times in our day we may say, well, yeah, but Brother Dean, how, how does that affect me? You said when you started this that the, the question we get when we tell people we're primitive Baptists is what do we believe? Well, am I supposed to take them all the way back to, to Egypt? No, we're not Jewish. You know, well, maybe I'm supposed to take them back to Scotland or we're supposed to take them back to Norway or wherever it is we came from. No. But I think we do need to find a common ground with them. And especially if they ask you the question, if they say, well, what's the difference in primitive Baptist and normal Baptist or regular Baptist? Because you know what that tells you? That tells you that they're Baptist because they think they're the regular ones. Let's start with common ground. How about we start with, we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And in fact, we believe that Jesus Christ was God manifest in the flesh. And that He came to this world and He suffered, bled, and died upon the cross of Calvary for my sins. And that He was laid into Joseph's new tomb and on the third day, God raised Him from the dead as His seal of approval that that sin debt was paid. And that now Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of God the Father where He makes intercession for His people every day. I believe if we start there, it will open up a whole new conversation. If you start there, people are going to say, wow, that sounds like what I believe. That sounds like what our church preaches. You see, then you can say, well, it sounds like you need to come to our church one Sunday and hear what we do there. It opens up a whole new door. You see, when we when we start with what we don't have, it closes the door, doesn't it? But if you'll start with Jesus Christ, if you'll start how He came to this world, if you want to put in there according to the Scriptures, you can. I believe every one of us can name at least five prophecies that were fulfilled by Christ. Christ came through the, through the line of David. Christ was born of a virgin. Christ was crucified upon a tree of Calvary. He was buried and rose again the third day. You can look at the prophecies on, on the cross. He, he was going to say, I thirst, and they were going to give Him vinegar to drink. That's five right there. And those are ones that we all know every day. I believe that if we want to, to do better in our evangelism, if we want people to listen to what we have to say about Christ, then we need to start in a place of commonality. And that Christ came to this world to save sinners like you and I. And by giving His blood upon the cross of Calvary, He completed that work. Christ, as He, as he hung upon the tree, cried out in a loud voice, It is finished. And gave up the ghost. When He cried it was finished, He was talking about the work of salvation. The work of salvation was completed upon the cross of Calvary. We're not looking for a day of salvation. We are living in a time of salvation. Our salvation has been made sure by Jesus Christ. 
Now I would exhort you as Paul did to the Jewish brethren there at Antioch to continue in the grace of God. And God bless you this morning.